Welcome to the Symposium of the Lotus Eaters. Today we're joined by Josh. Hello there. And we are going to disagree about disagreement. I'm not sure we're going to disagree too much. I think we might agree about disagreement. Okay. It's, it's difficult to tell. Yeah, so we are going to talk about disagreement. Now, disagreement is something that I think is a double-edged sword. It has both pros and cons. It's immensely frustrating occasionally. But in other cases, the ability to disagree is really important. So I think we should start by asking what is disagreement and where we encounter it, such as, for instance, in personal and interpersonal contexts. We could also talk then about the pros and cons of disagreement and talk about disagreement in society. And we could end with trying to say how disagreement can turn from something that is potentially destructive into something that is constructive. I think that sounds good. Right, so are you sort of a contrarian? Uh, no, I'm not. Of course I'm not, no. <laughs> um, no, I, I have a bit of re a reputation around the office of being the office contrarian. And uh, I will argue against a position I agree with just for my own amusement. Because at the end of the day, I, I, th I think of the role of an individual to be a bit Socratic in how they approach ideas that even if you agree with someone, you want them to have as good a reason for saying what they're saying as possible. And so by asking difficult questions and playing devil's advocate, you can lead people to be more articulate and see things from lots more perspectives. And I think everyone really benefits from that. And it's not really a disagreement, if fundamentally speaking, but you're just posing counterpoints in a sense. I suppose that could be posed as a form of disagreement, just a softer variant, because, you know, you agree with the fundamental thing, which tends to be sort of implicit or directly explicit in the conversation, and then you throw out these counterpoints. And it's, it's normally seen as a, a good sport sort of thing, isn't it? Where you're, you're being a sort of contrarian, but it's not seen as malicious or mean. People might not lose their temper with a contrarian unless they're doing it just to wind other people up. If they have good intentions, then normally people are patient with it and they can actually kind of enjoy it. It's kind of like an intellectual sparring match in a sense, which is always fun, I think. Not everyone finds it fun. And some people really don't like to have their views questioned. But it can turn into something good and something enjoyable. So I think that the conduct we have during disagreement is immensely important. And this is what can turn disagreement from something that is, as I say, destructive to something that is constructive. That is why I like to uh, portray it as a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're being, say, um, to, to carry on with the example of a contrarian, if you're saying it with a smile on your face and you're enjoying yourself and doing it in good nature, the tendency is that the other person is going to kind of bounce off of that and have a similar sort of experience where they're going to be enjoying themselves as well because it's, it's an engaging conversation at the end of the day. And I think actually, I, I much prefer disagreement to agreement because disagreements are exciting, agreement is boring. And I, I, pretty much everything I do is to stave off boredom okay. in one way or another. But when you say that sometimes it can be a bit excessive, so having a smile on your face while you disagree, it's... it's one side of the story, but if you carry on disagreeing about something, you get a bit annoying. <laughs> Isn't it sometimes annoying? Because I, I, I I'm enjoy not, being annoying to people sometimes. It's, okay. it's good fun. Um, and, 
there's a question there with contrarians that sometimes whether being too much of a contrarian for for the fun of it makes people just shut shut their minds towards you. They say, okay, no, I, I don't take you seriously because you anything I say you're going to disagree. Mm -hmm. I don't mind a, a gentle teasing, but when it actually starts being mean spirited, yeah, I obviously don't want to do that. I don't actually want to be horrible to people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have good intentions, believe it or not. But, yeah, I, I think... That's that, what a contrarian would say. <laughs> I am one. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's one of those things where you've just got to use your social skills to know what's appropriate. And you've got to know the person you're talking to and how to approach things. That You've got to do a lot of psychologizing to do it well. And, thankfully, that comes naturally to me. And so I feel like I can normally navigate it without getting punched in the face. Yeah. Or at least, uh, you know, someone getting annoyed at me. And it's quite rare, actually, where, when I'm being a contrarian, because people know I'm a contrarian, that people get annoyed at me because they kind of expect it. And so yeah. it's like uh, getting annoyed at the rain, you know. It's not going to change it. It's <laughs> bound to happen. It's a force of nature. That's true, yeah. You, you don't control it. <laughs> it can't be controlled. <laughs> Can it be caged? only with incredible self-discipline. Okay. Right. So I want us to take a deep dive into it because we opened many issues regarding disagreement. So I think we should start by asking what is disagreement? And uh, that's a ob sort of obvious question, or the answer to this question is a bit obvious, but it's good if we pin it down and we say what specific, what exactly it is that we are talking about. And then we try to give examples of where we encountered disagreement. Sure. Try to create a sort of taxonomy. So what would you say is disagreement? Um, it's two ideas that are incompatible with one another, voiced by two different people. Normally, they can be internal as well. They can be within the same individual. You have contradictions in your mind. It's impossible not to. We're not entirely rational beings, and so there will be contradictions, there will be internal disagreements. And uh, in my field of, I'm going to go off on a tangent, you just wanted a definition, but here's my contrarian nature. But um, yes, all decisions are trade-offs between different factors which you weigh um, accordingly, and so that's how you resolve disagreement within yourself. You might not even notice you do it, because it's such a... Um, it, 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 it operates in a significant part of the unconscious mind as well, because the way you weigh abstract concepts, factors that inform one opinion over the other, you can't really quantify and objectively or rationally um, evaluate these. And so you've got to just uh, use your sort of ab abstract, sort of heuristic, this emotive feeling of which one you prefer. And that's your unconscious mind weighing up all of these factors, adding them all together and, and saying this option is actually more important than this option and therefore you resolve the contradiction and you may not even be aware that it happened at all. Right, so I think we should wor work with a provisional definition. Mm -hmm. Would you be happy with saying that disagreement is lack of agreement between two people when for instance they, or two or more people or 
or even w within the person. That, that's wrong. Yeah, so that's wrong. Too. Mm -hmm. that's, that's why I went on that tangent in the first yeah. place, is that you can have internal disagreement. And so it's just a conflict of two ideas, really, that are incompatible with one another. Yes. I think that's so, the only way you can really pin it down. Okay, so I think we have, we should focus on internal disagreement a bit. Sure. Because it's, in a sense, the beginning of our, you could say, our moral conscience in some cases. Because we frequently have moral dilemmas. And in moral dilemmas, we have disagreements, internal ones. Should we do what we think is right, but difficult? Or should we do what is easy and easy to give in to, but ultimately wrong? I think that this is a very abstract way of portraying moral dilemmas. Or there are other dilemmas also. It's not just easy. One thing is easy and right, easy and wrong, and the other is difficult and right. You could say that you have dilemmas between to good courses of action, or dilemmas between two bad courses of action or more. And you I try to you can, choose the least evil option. I like to break these sorts of things down, and this is my, my research specialty talking a little bit. You have a decision-making scenario. The, scenar the circumstances of the scenario inform the weightings of each decision, as well as your personal preferences. So these are the sort of two quite reductionistic, really, ways you can break it down. So the, the nature of the scenario itself. So for example, you could be making a decision about what to buy, you know, your friend for their, their birthday. And you've got two good gift ideas. And you've sort of got the circumstance, well, what time of year is their birthday? That could be relevant. You know, if you're buying them some clothes, you don't want to get them a winter coat. In the middle of summer because that would be weird and a, a strange gift for that time of year. It'd be on discount though. Yeah, <laughs> it is the time to buy it. You save it for Christmas. That's, you buy it then, save it up six months. Christmas came early this year. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are factors that influence whether something is a good decision beyond how you weigh them up yourself. There are external factors, there are internal factors there, there's a sort of internal factor, say, of your sentiments, this sort of romantic notion of what makes a good gift, what ha carries meaning, what shows that you care about the relationship you have. And so, you know, perhaps something that reflects like a, a running joke or, you know, something that you've done or you've listened to what they had to say and they mentioned how they needed something and it, it demonstrates that you listen to what they have to say. That's actually quite often a good way of getting gifts for people. I know this is a bit of a tangent, but um, I find it quite difficult sometimes, particularly at Christmas time, to know what to get people. But if you just listen to what they have to say, more often than not, if you've got a sort of focus on some things that they bring up tangentially, then you can normally come up with something that is thoughtful. And I think that um, it, it can be done mostly internally, but I think circumstance plays a part as well. Okay, that is, inter, uh, that is personal disagreement, but there is also, or internal disagreement, but there is also interpersonal disagreement, mm -hmm. and that is also frustrating in another way. So very frequently, for instance, we get frustrated with people who have different political ideas or different views of how the economy should be run. And I have here some, let's say, distinct levels in which 
interpersonal disagreement occurs. This is, for instance, in the family, in the neighborhood, in society, in the national level, and in the international level. These are all different dimensions uh, or different contexts within which different disagreements arise. So, for instance, naming disputes are not going to be resolved in the family level. Naming disputes between countries. Oh, right, I see. This is more of an international affair. But it could also be a national affair if you have people from within a nation who disagree about it. And, of course, you could have people within the family who disagree about it. But the thing is that very frequently people think that disagreement is something completely corrosive. For instance, they say that, you know, when you have disagreements in the family, this means that fami the, these families are about to disintegrate. When you have disagreement in societies, that's a bad sign. When you have disagreements in the international level, that's, let's say, the path to war. So, what is it about disagreement that people find so frustrating from a, psychologically from a psychological perspective? Why is it so bad, or why people feel that it is so bad, if someone doesn't view things the way they do? Well, I think there's a physiological element of disagreement being a prerequisite for violence. And that's uncomfortable, obviously. No one, no one really wants there to be a sudden eruption of violence, and it can come to that. And I think this underpins all, all verbal disagreements, is that it, things could escalate and, and get heated to that point. I think that's more um, pertinent to men in particular than women. If two women are disagreeing, normally it, it doesn't have that same level of undercurrent. It's still there to a, a very small extent, but not nearly to the same extent. But it also depends on how disagreeable you are is, as a disposition, how comfortable you are with disagreeing. You could look at, say, the 19th century, and there was the rule of never talk about politics or religion. And it seems to me that that's a bit naive, because then you're going to be stunted in those two areas because you've not fleshed out your ideas enough. You've not been challenged. And that's how they grow, really. And so I think people wanted to be liked. People want to be polite to other people. They want to feel like they're a good person. But to be a good person, I think you've got to kind of trim off the fat of what you believe and get rid of things that don't necessarily make sense. And so through disagreement, it, it's, it's like a, a workout for your brain, if I'm being really um, basic about it. Not only is it good for you in a sort of metacognitive sense, you start thinking about how you think more, but also the ideas you actually have are going to be more realistic, supposedly, at least if you refine them over having lots of disagreements. If you just dis come across one person who disagrees with you and then you change your mind, well, they could be wrong as well. So there's a, a sort of process going on here. Okay, I think that this is something that can be viewed from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, I agree with you that when, for, for instance, people disagree, things could escalate to violence. But we could view things the other way. We could say that, to paraphrase a known quote, the first person who, th who swore, who cursed, instead of throwing a rock, was the founder of civilization. 
you could say something like that. that well, uh, words are still always a better alternative to violence if, if yes. the option is available because, you know, you're in control of how much words hurt you, whereas physical pain, you know, hurts no matter what, unless you're, you know, a retreatist Buddhist monk and then you can get kicked in the nuts and not feel it, supposedly. I don't, that was a bit left of field. But, um, yeah, I think that there's an understanding that because disagreement only affects someone as much as it allow, you allow it to, that it's a less severe, um, less confrontational form of resolving things. Right. So I think that the main question to be asked here is whether we can coexist while we disagree. Well, I thought about this a lot, actually, because, of course, you have the situation in the, in the United States where the country is basically split if the polling is to be believed. And so how can you have a, a nation of people that are, are divided into two tribal lines? And I think that the only way you could resolve that situation is if people agreed on the rules of the game. And although I don't see that happening in the United States' case anytime soon, I think that this happens more often um, in sort of everyday life and also um, in, in other countries more so. I think, I think there are things about the United States where there are lots of, lots of emphasis pla placed on, well, this is what I believe, this is what I as an individual believe. And although I think that's actually the right way to go about it, that people are not afraid to speak their mind, it also means that there are more disagreements. Yeah. But I think that's good, not necessarily a bad thing. I think actually suppressing things and not addressing them is far more unhealthy, even if there's more explicit tension in the air, if you will. It's still better than everything sort of simmering behind, behind the surface and then maybe like a sort of volcanic eruption. You've got no indication that it's happening and then this massive destruction uh, kind of emanates out of nowhere. So it's better to release these things, I think. But I think um, what I've, I've uh, distracted myself talking about US politics. The, yeah. the question was about... No, I don't think that it was a distraction or a tangent because mm -hmm. the question is how can we agree, how can we coexist mm -hmm. I, I remember what I was going to say, yeah. Um, so I think it, it's easier to talk about this at an interpersonal level because I think most people have experienced what I'm about to talk about. And that is simply that two people can disagree and be very civil about it and actually both go away feeling positive about that interaction, even though, you know, if you're being perfectly objective, it wasn't necessarily... A positive one it's it's one where you know you, you're not agreeing on something there's potential for conflict there's potential for factionalism but if you treat each other in a way in which you allow the other person as well as yourself to maintain their self-respect and I, I actually spoke to you about this earlier and it's the the notion uh, of in in say an ancient battle you allow the enemy a possibility to retreat you don't wall them in and close them off and force them to fight you allow you gracefully allow them to give up and not only is this um 
a good way of winning arguments more generally, is also good manners. And it's also a good way for people not to feel as intimidated. Right. So the challenge is to get people together to agree with respect to the rules of the game. But you will have people who will constantly disagree with them. Yes, of course. And that is just the human condition, isn't it? But I think that the way... Oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to say that human beings are sort of coalitional in in a sense. They... They form social coalitions with like-minded people who more or less agree on the rules of the game. And at at certain points in history, these coalitions have been bigger than others. Sometimes there's a reasonable amount of overlap and people can mostly civilly agree, but then there are a few sticking points. There's a, a whole sort of spectrum. But the general thing is that there's a sort of monoculture there in the sense that where I grew up, everyone behaved in a, a very similar and, and well-mannered and polite way. And so there was very little in the way of disagreement. I think I, there was never a time where you know, I had a negative interaction with the people I, I lived around. Because everyone understood. You know, They didn't have to explicitly be told, but they implicitly knew that, yes, um, these are the things you do to be a member of this community so you aren't annoying to other people and you respect you know, the wishes of other people. And as long as you adhere to these, other people would adhere to them in return and therefore you both benefit. And there is, you know, there's a certain amount of self-interest in forming this. It's treating others as you wish to be treated. And I think that's, there's an element of self-interest there because it, it's suggesting that you treat others nicely because they treat you nicely in return rather than it being, you know, purely altruistic. Although, you know, I think that all altruism has to be related to some degree of self-interest, in a sense, even if you're interested in just the well-being of the other person. Okay, so let's say that we are talking about the social level. Mm -hmm. We have people who completely disagree about how the society should be run. And the challenge is to get them together to agree on the rules of the game. Now, even if at the end of the day, there will be some people who will disagree about the rules of the game, I think that it's a worthy attempt to get them together and say, listen, let's, let us try to find rules that will govern our coexistence. Mm-hmm. And I think that the very, the very process of sitting down and talking to people and allow them to speak their minds, and also them allowing you to speak your mind, is a process that is sort of healing. And even if there is lots of shouting and lots of, let's say, negativity expressed in the process, I think ultimately speaking, it can turn into something good. The problem is that many people don't or some people don't, and the people who will never accept that there may be such a possibility will be against dialogue, and they will sort of torpedo the whole process. Well, I I disagree with um, only one part of that. When I I think it comes to shouting and, and lots of negativity, what that illustrates in my mind is a lack of good faith towards the other person. You're, you're, 
you're not saying something for their benefit, you're saying something to get the negative feelings off of your chest. And that is quite, although it's human and common, and I've been guilty of it many times, it can be seen as quite an egocentric thing. You're, you're only doing it basically to serve yourself. And so people have an intuitive sense of that and may react far more negatively to that. And there may be, you know, some sort of damage towards the relationship of the two people. So I think it's always better if there's a problem actually to make sure you're as calm and as reasonable as possible. So sometimes it might be better, even if someone does something that annoys you, let some time pass, wait for a, a time when you're actually able to discuss it objectively and clear-headedly and you'll feel a lot better about it because I've had disagreements before where I've said something in the, in the moment that was probably more mean than it needed to be just because I was frustrated and angry. And you always go away feeling like, wow, I was a bad person there. And if you're anything like me, it will kind of weigh on your mind for the rest of your life and you'll never let yourself get over it. Um, and so it's far better to be too sort of, what's the word? It's better to take your time oh. and, and approach it calmly because I, I can't think of a situation where I've resolved a situation civilly and calmly where I think, wow, I really regret doing that. I think I didn't give you enough information to sure. contextualize my claim. I was saying that the process of talking to other people, mm -hmm. especially in political cases where we talk about the rules that are going to govern society and our coexistence, that can be messy. It's not always polite with people who are, you know, re super calm and everyone says, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, you may want to raise my taxes 100%. It, if someone told me that, I'd, I'd be furious. I would shout at them. <laughs> okay. But the point is, the, I was making a sort of different claim that very frequently the fact that people shout in such discussions does not necessarily mean that there is no that there is no point in the process. They may feel like, they may feel bad, and you may feel bad, but the question is whether, despite bad feelings, that's something positive. Because you could be saying that, well, how did I act? I acted in a, in a bad way. Could I have done things differently? I'm not perfect. Maybe the other person has something. Say So sometimes, when we see things from the perspective of how to establish a degree of social harmony and cohesion, negative feelings with respect to our, let's say, behavior aren't necessarily bad. Because we could be, we could sort of say that this is a sign of humility, that humility begins to dawn on us. Mm -hmm. And in other cases, as you said, it's ne expressing negative feelings. You take negative feelings out. And that means that, okay, we, you blew some steam off, the other person blew some steam off. Okay, now let, let us be a bit more civil. We can forge something new. Mm -hmm. And there's, a, there's another issue that if there are two people who do express anger, but they still maintain, a, they, they still converse, at some point their anger could, they could run out of anger and they could start look at, seeing each other's perspective. I think that quite often does happen where 
two people get really annoyed at each other and then they sort of get this moment of self-awareness, a sort of self-realisation that, wow, I'm, I might be being a bit unreasonable. And then you, you notice all of a sudden this sudden switch of actually being quite polite again. And I think quite often people feel a little bit bad. And I think that that's the understanding of what I was getting at earlier, that quite often that method of doing things is unproductive. Not necessarily always, but I would say most of the time, at least in my experience, you know, shouting at someone or getting genuinely angry at them doesn't help the situation. And that's why I try and keep as calm as possible. Yes. But there would be no problem in resolving a disagreement if you were calm and the other person was angry and you sort of showed them your perspective and they slowly saw it. Mm -hmm. And I think that this happens very frequently, especially with people who are marginalized. Uh, many times people, some people are marginalized and they feel that their voice is not heard and they start, start building resentment against society. But I think that if you sit down and actually listen to them, you don't have to agree, but actually listen to them. You could be disagreeing with them. There can be a form of taming. I don't think that this happens with everyone, but I, uh, but I think that it happens with most people. You mean a, like a form of catharsis in that simply explaining how they feel makes them feel better, whether yes. someone agrees or not? Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, that's almost certainly yes. something. That's why when someone's annoyed and you want to make them feel better, you say, oh, you know, vent to me or, or what, what's the problem? You know yes. that they're upset and maybe even talking about it might make them feel worse temporarily. But you understand that in the, through going through the process of them articulating it, yeah. it makes them feel better. Normally because it feels like when you externalize it, not only do you explain it better to yourself because you've got to put language to what had otherwise been internal thoughts, but also that someone cares to listen. Yes. I think that those two things are, are very important. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.